2: Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus.
3: Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet where we support your spiritual growth and recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. And thank you to all of you that are listening. And um, we heard this week from a listener in Finland. So we really are grateful that you're listening. And we know we've got folks all around the world that are uh, logging on and hearing us here at Spirit of Recovery. So we're... Really glad that you're listening, and uh, thanks for joining in. Thanks for emailing us and for uh, posting on Facebook. I enjoy hearing from you and knowing how the spirit of recovery is uh, making a difference for you in your life and your recovery. It's lots of fun to be broadcasting about recovery here on Unity Online Radio. And uh, we always have guests that touch your heart, that get you thinking, um, and that open you up to new possibilities for what you can do in your growth, in your recovery, and in your spirituality. And every week, we do have topics that are important to the recovery community, and our guests are down-to-earth, knowledgeable, and innovative, people who are in recovery themselves or who work with or write for uh, recovering people, and they always bring you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. And, uh, this week we're going to, we have a guest that's coming back that he was with us in October when he went, in 2010, when he went on a pilgrimage to the holy sites in Europe and the Middle East. And we talked with him from Assisi, Italy back in October, uh, Nick Kay. And we're gonna, Nick is our guest today and we're gonna be talking with him later about his journey home and how that pilgrimage has transformed his life and deepened his recovery. So uh, before we get to talking to Nick, though, we want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place, that recovery is a big tent, and that if whether you're in recovery from any kind of an addiction, if you're a family member that's in your own recovery as a family member, or if you're a family member or friend, Somebody that has the disease of addiction, or whether you're simply curious about the process of recovery, we are glad you're listening and we uh, welcome your participation in our discussions and uh, know that you are very welcome. Again, my name is Anna Schaus and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and an addictions counselor, and also I'm a person who has in my circle of love and friendship a lot of people that have the disease of addiction. Thirty years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and recovery. And ever since then, my walk has been one uh, of an integration of unity and recovery principles. It sure has made a big difference in my life, and I am grateful to be able to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you and to bring guests to you that um, touch your heart Know also that on every show we do have a drawing and we give away a recovery book. And these have been donated to us by the non profit Hazelden Foundation. And we are very grateful to that. Thank you, Hazelden, for your generosity in donating these books. And their website is www.Hazelden.org. And uh, we give these books away. You can email us um, during the show or you can call in. Um, anytime, and that number is 888-558-6489. The email is spiritofrecovery at unity.fm, and we do get those during the program. And today the book that we're giving away is called The Easy Does It Dating Guide for People in Recovery by Mary Faulkner. So if you're interested in that book, email us or call us. Um, also know that we welcome your comments during the second and third segments of the show. Again, you can email us or call us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions. So today, um, we are talking about recovery as pilgrimage, the journey home. And my guest is Nick Kay. And Nick was with us in October of 2010. We talked to him From Assisi, Italy, he was on the phone with us and was telling us about what was happening on his pilgrimage. Nick is a recovering person, he's an addictions counselor, and he is a lover of life. And he, uh, last fall, left the U.S. for a unique and inspiring trip. He went on a pilgrimage, and it was an inner and an outer pilgrimage. He was visiting the sacred holy sites in Europe and the Middle East, and uh, he was... Told us fascinating stories back in October about people he had been meeting, about uh, different sites that he'd seen, about what was happening to him inside. I remember him talking about the statue of Saint Francis of Assisi, and 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 his just sort of epiphany about that, and seeing and understanding Saint Francis's story as as a recovery story in a sense and talking about the importance of that. So since we talked to him last, Nick has returned to the U.S. He's um, uh, been um, integrating and and settling all that he experienced on that trip, and so we're just uh, glad to talk with him, and thanks for being with us today, Nick. Great to be here. Yeah, glad you're here. You know, it's
4: interesting because... I left on my pilgrimage one year ago this week.
3: You're kidding?
4: No. Wow. So to be back uh, on the show and talking about it with you is uh, is a wonderful thing because it's it's reminding me of the of the early days of the journey which I set off on, and I'm actually I'm very excited to use the next two months because I was on I was on the pilgrims. Pilgrims' Trail for just over sixty days. So I'm I'm using the next two months to look back at my pilgrimage and see what's happened in in the last year and use those experiences to to fire up my my on my ongoing um, love and journey on the spiritual path.
5: Hmm.
3: That's that's something. I had no idea that this was the anniversary of your departing on this pilgrimage. That's cool. That's very cool. And I know, and I do know that you've got some exciting plans coming up, uh, as you said. And well, we'll talk about those later uh, in the program. But it is exciting, and I'm glad to hear that you're going to be using that time, as you said, to focus on, to integrate, and, and see what kind of process in a deeper way what you did on that pilgrimage. But uh, I want to loop back right now to to your pilgrimage because, again, we talked to you in Assisi. And right after that, I believe you headed off for the Middle East. Is that right? Yep. So what happened? What happened in Egypt?
4: Okay. Well, from Assisi, I took a train to Venice. Uh-huh. And Venice is the uh, traditional or was the traditional departure point in Medi- in medieval times for pilgrims. European pilgrims making their way to the Holy Land, and I, you know, with that in mind, I found a, a ferry that went from Venice to Alexandria, Egypt, and it took uh, three or four days on the on the open sea. And lo and behold, I was not the only pilgrim on that boat. So. The tradition continues, and it wasn't just myself on the on the pilgrims' trail. There were other people, and I I got the boat to Alexandria, Egypt, and of course this was pre um, the pre Arab Spring. You know, this is before the the uprising and the overthrow of the Mubarak regime there. And I got to Alexandria, which is. You know, historically, an extremely rich place and got a, got a train to Cairo where I spent a few days. And The pilgrimage destination in Egypt was the monastery of St. Anthony the Great, who was a, a desert father, um, actually one of the originators of the, the desert father and mother spiritual tradition within Christianity and he founded a monastery in the the 3rd century and it is still running today it's wow. actually the oldest working monastery in the christian religion and there has been monks there since the 3rd century
3: uh-huh.
4: and so one of the the inspiration for going to visit that monastery was that you know anthony led a very a very radical life he basically prayed in a cave for about 20 years and his family and friends basically thought that he had died. And they went out into the desert and they found this cave and it was walled up and they broke down the wall basically expecting him to be a pile of bones. And when they found him inside, the legend says that he, he looked healthier than the people who were looking for him. That you know, in this cave, um, because of the spiritual practice that he was doing, he was he was rejuvenated. He was born again in a sense. And so, what I'm always what I'm always struck by is no matter where we look in um, spiritual traditions, whether it's with the the saints of Christianity or the yogis of India or the the Buddhists of Tibet there are all there are always correlations and connections to the recovery process um because you know the addict, in a sense when he goes into um, before he goes into treatment you know he has he has been considerably isolated and um really shut off, and you know a lot of people have those those questions of like can this you know, can this person ever recover? You know, can they ever make it back from from um, from the depths of despair that they've gone to? And the you know the answer is that we can we can come back no matter no, you know no matter how far how far off we've gone. And you know that is that sort of represented represented in 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 Anthony's life that. You know he went off into the into the desert, and people thought he would never come back that he was dead and then he showed that you know through um, his faith in god um, that not only did he come back but he was healthier um, than the people who were looking at him and he became you know an extremely influential and useful per- person in in um you know third century um Christianity, and really for the remainder of his life, ministered um, to the spiritual needs of his of his community and of his, his fellow monks and brothers. So this was just an amazing place to go and to visit, and to and the fact that it's still still going, it's still alive. I think speaks to um, you know the value of of our of our ancient spiritual traditions.
3: Yeah, did you have any particular feeling while you were there or what was the atmosphere like or any people that you encountered there at that monastery?
4: Well, the monks of course were incredibly friendly and you know, just bending over backwards to educate you about St. Anthony and about the monastery. And it was breath- breathtaking you know, climbing there was a, a staircase that went up the mountain, and you climb basically close to two thousand steps, and then you get to this crack that's in the wall of this mountain, and inside is a cave where Anthony used to meditate and pray. And it takes your it takes your breath away. and I think I think it if it speaks to anything, um, it just speaks to the creative. Uh, potential of humankind in that we we get we often get so bogged down in in the rut- routine of life and you know thinking that all that's out there for me is um, you know a nine to five job and two point five kids and you know the white picket fence and it just it just spoke to a whole whole different level of of uh, living and of existence and that basically. Um, you can be fulfilled, um, you know, no matter what you, where you live, or what you're doing. That's really the impression it had on me.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was that
4: this this man was able to be happy, you know, out in the middle, of, out in the middle of the desert?
3: Yeah, you know, one thing. Uh- Related to that, that struck me when you told the story about the people, how he looked healthier than the people that were actually searching for him, and he'd been in this cave for a long time, was and that parallel with with the uncommon life. And again, I'm certainly not advocating that somebody go out and uh, <laughs> get get addicted to have an uncommon life, but but what strikes me is that uh, we're so unaccustomed to thinking. That what is different could be a value, or we're so, a, we, we don't, it, it takes us to a different depth of our own soul to, Absolutely. Approach, uh, to come to things in a different way.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's really one of the challenges, Anna, that I face working with adolescent addicts, drug addicts, and, and alcoholics
3: yeah and is, you're a counselor right with that. Right
4: I'm a counselor working with adolescent, uh, you know chemically dependent people. and and trying to, you know shift their perspective or encourage a shift in perspective where where they they come to see or even believe in the possibility that um, that life could be better, that life could be different um, outside of um, you know what they know and just what has become second nature to them from from such a young age mm-hmm. and that's just such an important piece of recovery to not miss out on you know particularly when coming to the newcomer is basically saying you know you have no idea how good recovery can be and how much better it is than than active addiction
3: right sometimes people and uh Adolescents aren't the only ones, but I think it's maybe more challenging for adolescents. They think that, "What do you mean? I can never. I'll never have good time again. I'll never. If I can't use again, um, life's no fun." They can't, as you said they they can't imagine beyond what they know, what they've experienced. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, I know one of the uh, keys to to a full life is to be able to utilize our imagination. And, uh, and certainly that's a spiritual attribute is to be able to think beyond our present stress or our present circumstances or to think bigger than what we know.
4: Yeah. And that, you know, that was a challenge that I had in going on this pilgrimage is that I had, I had had the idea for years. In fact, I want to say a good five years before I actually went. And this idea would constantly bubble up into my imagination, into my consciousness. And I would fight it. I would say, oh, that's crazy, Nick. Or you have other responsibilities. Or you know, what about your friends and your family and your bills and etc." And I really wrestled with the idea of going on pilgrimage. And it wasn't until, um, I was actually a year before I left, I was at a, I was at a barbecue with some friends, and um, someone asked me what I consider to be one of the most important questions um, of my life that has ever been asked for me. And the, and the question was, what is the most loving thing you can do for yourself?
3: Okay, and on that note, we're going to take a break, and I want to hear the answer. so we'll be right back. Um, when we come back, uh, we'll start with the Serenity Minute, and please know that you can call us at 888-55-UNITY or send us an email at spiritofrecovery at for your comments or questions. We'll be right back.
0: He's the most talked about figure in history. How do you see Jesus? As a savior, a way-shower, a mythical hero? In his cutting-edge new book, Jesus 2.1, an upgrade for the 21st century, Rev. Dr. Thomas Shepard explores the many human concepts of Jesus.
6: The man of Nazareth has been an imaginary spiritual playmate for millions. Best friend, confidant, silent lover, surrogate father, brother, husband trusted king when earthly governments fail, all-purpose superhero who will save the day before the final credits roll. Jesus is like a program that has been adapted through the ages while the basic code remains undisturbed despite all subsequent modifications. Now it is our time to rewrite and reinstall the Jesus program with updates for today, just as every previous generation has done and every subsequent generation will do. The Romans killed Jesus for being a revolutionary every succeeding generation kills him anew by losing sight of the ongoing revolution in human consciousness that he represents
0: explore the new book Jesus 2.1 at www.shopunity.org Whether you love the Bible or hate it, turn to it daily or refuse to have it in your house, The Bible Alive! Exploring Your Spiritual Roadmap is a program designed just for you. Here on Unity FM, Unity Minister Rev. Ed Townley presents the Bible as a practical, powerful spiritual roadmap full of wisdom and guidance for the challenges of life today. A roadmap for your spiritual journey. Isn't that just what you are seeking? Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern for The Bible Alive, exploring your spiritual roadmap with Rev Ed Townley, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world.
2: You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery.
3: Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're very glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is Recovery as Pilgrimage, the Journey Home. And my guest is Nick Kay. And Nick is a recovering person. He's an addictions counselor, and he is a lover of life. And he's sharing with us uh, about that spiritual pilgrimage that he took last fall and uh, to the holy sites of Europe and the Middle East. And uh, we talked to him last October About We talked to him about his pilgrimage. He was at that time in Assisi, Italy, and um, he's telling us what happened after that and telling us what's happened to him since he got back home to the U.S. But before Nick and I continue our conversation, I invite you to join me as we take a moment to center ourselves in peace of mind in the Serenity Minute. Just a brief moment to relax, to open up our mind and focus on a constructive idea. So I invite you to focus with me on this idea I'm at home within myself. I relax there with my higher power. I am at home within myself. I relax there with my higher power. I let go and let my higher power love me. Thank you. Thanks for joining me in the Serenity Minute, and I hope that it did open you up to that peace that lives inside of you. And so now we're back with my guest, Nick Kay, and we're talking about recovery as pilgrimage, the journey home. This is a great time to give us a call or send us an email if you have a comment or a question for Nick. And the number is 888-558-6489. And our email is spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. And also know that we'll put your name in the drawing for the book, The Easy Does It Dating Guide for People in Recovery if you would like us to. So, Nick, we stopped before the break with an incredible question. You said you were uh, we were talking about um, the importance of thinking forward and, and, think, and letting ourselves imagine what's possible. And you told us that a friend of yours asked you, what's the most loving thing you could do for yourself? So what happened? What was the answer?
4: Okay. So, you know, what an interesting question. What's the most loving thing you can do for yourself? And you know, I, there's a tendency to look at that question as maybe a little selfish. So often, we get this idea that what's loving is what we do for others. And gosh, if I could, if I could pin, um, if I could pin one of the one of the the saddest aspects about addiction, it is around people not having the ability to love themselves. There's an incredible amount of self-hatred involved in addiction, and people just become experts at, for lack of a better term, kicking their own asses. Mm-hmm. And so this question that my friend asked me, what's the most loving thing you can do for yourself? And so, you know, that's a, that's a radical shift out of self-hatred you know into into a whole new area. And I knew when he asked me that that actually the most loving thing I could do for myself was to go on pilgrimage, was to give myself that experience. And in giving myself that experience, you know, open open my life up to a, a whole new world and potentially an entirely new new direction. And so, what happened after my friend asked me that, I of course replied, "The most loving thing I could do would be to go on pilgrimage and that started the series of events where I started saving money, I started really researching the route, I figured out which places I wanted to go, what order, um, the logistics, etc and You know, over the next year, I saved money, did research, and prepared myself for this journey. And then, you know, in August of 2010, quit my job, sold all of my possessions, and like I say, um, you know, this is the one-year anniversary, you know, set out. It was August 27th was the day that I began, and... um,
6: and boy, well, what
4: a what a remarkable what a remarkable journey it was.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: So you really took a lot of risks. You stepped out of out of, of what was comfortable, and you you stopped stepped out of what was a common life to do this.
4: Indeed, indeed, and that's that is a common response that I get from people, is they say oh, you know what, that's something that I've always wanted to do, but never had the courage or never gave myself the time or never took the risk to do so. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the parallels of recovery with risk-taking is that recovery is not possible without taking a huge risk. You know, to to practice um, the second step, you know, to come to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. This is the greatest risk of my life. And that coupled with step three of making that decision to turn my will and my life over to that power, when I sit in therapy and in facilitate groups, I... I, with, with, no, with, with much certainty, can, can sit there and say to these young people that, guess what, you, th- there, you will not take a greater risk than this one. Um, and at the same time, by taking that risk, you will equally not receive such a, a reward as this one, as if by taking that leap of faith and trusting in a higher power that's really when the when the miracle of recovery happens and just the way that it happens in recovery it, it also happens in in I believe every area of our life when we're willing to take that that leap of faith
3: it's like giving up what you can see the tangible world that sometimes we just cling to with white knuckle error giving up what you do know, even if it's making you miserable at least you know it, and giving it up for the for the possibility and and if you listen to other people that have walked the road for the probability that even if you can't see it there's something better waiting for you if you'll take mm-hmm. the step
4: absolutely
6: mhm,
4: yeah, and you know i uh I often asked myself while I was on pilgrimage and before going on pilgrimage, like, why? Why am I doing this? What are my reasons? And I had, I, I had three main reasons of why going. It was to say thank you, because I believe that you know, these, our spiritual traditions are just such a, a source of strength and guidance for us, and I wanted to, to pay homage to that the second reason was to continue the tradition you know people have been going on pilgrimage for for years for thousands of years and i wanted to continue that and of course there are you know there are parallels to our recovery experience of you know our predecessors and carrying the message that our predecessors gave us and you know the third reason was out of excitement of, like, what is going to come from this? You know, what will this surrender bring? You know, by taking this risk, you know, there's going to be something beautiful on the other side. And I actually, um, about halfway into my, my journey in my pilgrimage, while I was in Assisi, in fact, it, I think it was the night that we spoke, I wrote a little something around why, did I, why go on pilgrimage. And this is what I wrote. The pilgrim goes out of a sense of belonging. He or she dares believe that he can find something real, something that makes sense, something that fills that confusing, mysterious space of longing. And I tell you, he or she will find it all those who sincerely seek will find and that just points and I, I just i just love that that trust that faith that 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 you get from taking risks and the pilgrimage really for me was an extension well, I know in my, my heart of hearts that the pilgrimage was an extension of the risks that I took in early recovery. That I turned my will and my life over to a higher power in order to get sober. And that that act just continues to express itself each day of my life. And the, the pilgrimage was... Um, was a continue was a continuation of that of that expression, right? And then I that's just... where the that's where the promises you know the promises come in in recovery. Where if you take these risks, you know these things happen to you, and that you know that was just reflected in the in the wider wider sense of the world that um, you know every. Anyone who seeks, who sincerely seeks, will find. So it doesn't it doesn't matter if it's you're looking for a recovery, or you're looking for a relationship, or you're looking to deepen, um, you know, your understanding of God. Like if you take that risk, then it will. The universe will answer back. Will respond.
3: I want to share with you. I just got an email from a listener, Mike, in Texas, and Mike. Uh, is a seeker, and this is what he said. He said that uh, his recovery pilgrimage has been awesome, that he went to his first recovery meeting in 1979 when he was 15 years old. He was court-ordered there, and uh, he's had a really long road. And then he entered recovery in March of 2002. And he uh, speaks in here about his relationship with God and how much uh, he really wanted to know God, and Mike writes that he knew of God, but he didn't really know him, and that he really didn't understand what God's desire for him was. And uh, he says that his first sponsor had him uh, work in the steps, of course, and that he read uh, Emmett Fox's book. I'm thinking probably Sermon on the Mount, yeah. And um, he worked on forgiveness. And he said his sponsor told him to go into his room, into the closet of his heart, and pray And something wonderful happened because he was taking some risks there. He was stepping out. He was working with a sponsor. He was working the steps, and he was talking to God and and trying to get to know him. He said that when he went to pray that time stopped and that he uh, three hours went by and he felt completely whole. And he said that um, he came out of that experience knowing that he and God were not separated as he had felt before. And um, he says that, that he now brings every single doubt to God in secret and that God really changed his life from one of despair to one of love. So, Mike, thank you for taking risks and thank you for getting to know God and thank you for being in recovery and thanks for writing that email.
4: Yeah, what a beautiful, what a beautiful email. I don't know if I could have said it any better myself. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Yeah, that was, that's wonderful.
3: Yeah, Thank you, Mike. So, Nick, you're, you're talking about uh, taking risks, and I know that some interesting things happened to you in Israel, that you had an amazing experience there at the uh, Church of the Holy... No, the, I don't know if it's the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, but uh, the church that commemorates the birth of Jesus?
4: Well, i got to say, I mean, I had a lot of incredible experiences in Israel, and mm-hmm. from... Um, the Monastery of St. Anthony the Great. I uh-huh. did. I took a. I took a bus to the border between Egypt and Israel and crossed the border on foot and then got another bus up um, from a lot into Jerusalem. And I actually stayed at a convent on the Via Della Rosa, which is a, a street that runs through the old city that... Um, uh, you know according to legend or um, history you know some some historical evidence supporting it that this would have been the the street that uh, Jesus walked down on his way to um, Calvary to Golgotha um, to be crucified so you know Jerusalem is a um, one of the the richest um, in terms of spiritual history destinations on the on the planet for uh, Jewish, Christian, and Islamic faiths, and they're very um, intermixed. Um, oftentimes, the shrines are, are are built on top of each other, and it's just because because of the history, um, literally one on top of the other. And yeah, that was that was the. That was my destination, Jerusalem, and it's hard to it's hard to really speak to the um, to the significance of of that destination. But I did. I had. It. I'll just tell the the quick the quick story, which is I. This is a, a church, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where. Um, uh, Jesus was crucified and is also apparently the, the tomb that they placed him in, the tomb of the resurrection, for people who are familiar with the with the story. And I was standing in line to enter the tomb and you know the church has thousands and thousands of people visiting it every day. And this man told me that I could Spend the night in the church, hold a vigil, and that I had to get permission from the, the Franciscan priests who were the overseers of this of the shrine. And so I went and talked to the Franciscans, and they told me to come back that evening at seven o'clock before the doors were locked, and that I could stay in the church all night. And there were three there was only three rules: no sleeping no singing, and no walking around with candles in case of, you know, out of concerns for fire. And so I did. I got there at 7 o'clock, and they locked the door, and I was basically in the church um, from 7 at night till 5 in the morning, just sitting and meditating and praying at these, these holy sites. And I thought, you know, talking about risks... And I thought, I was actually, I was inside the tomb of the resurrection, so the place, you know, apparently where um, Jesus' crucified body was laid. And I was in there by myself and, you know, meditating. And I thought, how is this possible that I could, I could dream up a, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and that it could end alone? in you know in the in the place of of um, in the tomb of the resurrection
3: and okay hold we- that. we'll be we'll get, it's time for a break but we will be right back that's a, a great place we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back stay with us okay
0: he's the most talked about figure in history how do you see Jesus as a savior a way shower a mythical hero. In his cutting-edge new book, Jesus 2.1, an upgrade for the 21st century, Rev. Dr. Thomas Shepard explores the many human concepts of Jesus.
6: The man of Nazareth has been an imaginary spiritual playmate for millions. Best friend, confidant, silent lover, surrogate father, brother, husband, trusted king when earthly governments fail, all-purpose superhero who will save the day before the final credits roll. Jesus is like a program, That has been adapted through the ages while the basic code remains undisturbed despite all subsequent modifications. Now it is our time to rewrite and reinstall the Jesus program with updates for today. Just as every previous generation has done and every subsequent generation will do. The Romans killed Jesus for being a revolutionary. Every succeeding generation kills him anew by losing sight of the ongoing revolution in human consciousness that he represents.
0: Explore the new book, Jesus 2.1, at www.shopunity.org.
1: Have you heard about Dr. Tom Shepherd's new program on Unity Online Radio?
7: Tom Shepard, isn't he the Unity Magazine question-and-answer guy?
1: Right. Well, they've actually turned him loose with a radio show, and I hear it's going to be pretty edgy. Edgy? Like what? Guest panelists discussing things like abortion, gay marriage, war and peace, environmental issues, Islamic fundamentalism, universal health care.
7: Yeah, but they'll all be Unity people, right?
1: Oh, no, no, no. He has a list of upcoming guests that sounds like a roll call of the Interfaith Council. Rabbis, priests, liberal and conservative ministers, Buddhist monks, Baha'is, Hindus. And he's going to interview them on the program? Better. He's going to introduce a topic and let them go for it. Imagine having a rabbi and a Catholic priest talking about Jesus as a Jew, or asking a biblical literalist to explain creationism to a liberal Christian Bible scholar.
7: This could get explosive. Does he have guys in black shirts standing by to break up the fights?
1: If I know Dr. Tom, he'll keep it both friendly and spirited.
7: Whoa, i got to hear this. When and
1: where? The program is called Let's Talk About It, and it's on every Thursday at 9 a.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio. So let's talk about it. Definitely
7: let's.
2: You've been listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery.
3: Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're very glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is Recovery as Pilgrimage, the Journey Home. And my guest is Nick Kay, and Nick is a recovering person an addictions counselor and a lover of life, and he is telling us about his journey um, that he took to visit the holy sites of Europe and the Middle East. And right before the break, he was telling us about the vigil, the all-night vigil that he had by himself. Um, locked into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, the place of of Jesus, the tomb uh, where the resurrection took place, and he was telling us that it, during this vigil, he was asking himself, "Wow, how did how did I do this? How did I manage to to get myself here um, in this amazing place?" So, tell us what happened.
4: You know, it was it was uh, a realization that. You know, we're talking about risks and trusting in our higher power. And it was just a realization that if you take those risks and you trust in your higher power, that you know, there's there's the saying in recovery, don't leave until the miracle happens. And for me being you know, being in the tomb, you know, by myself at the end of my pilgrimage and just realizing that um, that my higher powers' plans for me are are outside, are beyond my imagination, and that when I let go of control and I, you know, I surrender to to the will of the higher power, I'm just getting such a better deal than anything that I could, um, you know, that I could conjure or control on my own, and. Yeah, it was just that that moment in the tomb where that really struck me about you know what happens when we when we take risks and we we trust and we follow we follow the higher power.
3: You uh after that I de- think pretty soon after that you came back to the US.
4: I did. I did from Jerusalem. I um, I went to a few other sites. I went up to the Sea of Galilee and to Nazareth, and, and then from there, from Tel Aviv, I flew back to London. And my parents, they live in the U.K. That's where I, I grew up in the U.K., actually. And I spent a month at my parents um, taking my journals, because I kept journals on my pilgrimage and transcribing them onto the computer because it was really important for me to share with friends and family my pilgrimage experience. And, you know, just in the same way that we can only keep what we have by giving it away, and it's important for us to share our recovery with other recovering addicts, um, in the same way for me on the, on the spiritual path, you know, I need, to, I need to share with, you know, other seekers and believers, um, what my experiences have been, and you know just that lovely tradition of, of passing it on and so from London I flew back to Minnesota um, where I where I live and work and and got back to work you know um, had the had the beautiful experience and uh, continue to share it today but um, you know the whole thing before enlightenment: chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment: chop wood and carry water. So it was back to um, back to normal life, and I am back at work. Like I say, working in a working in a facility um, for adolescents, and uh, just doing doing my best to to be a professional um um A professional counselor and skillful and compassionate you know as as a, you know every every moment of of the day and i I fail miserably <laughs> I fail miserably at that um reminded daily of just how hard of a job it is to work with um to work with addicts and to work in the social services and how it's really, it's an impossible, it's an impossible task because, you know, this this illness that people um, suffer from, it's, there isn't a cure. You know, we can arrest it with an incredible amount of work and um, and faith and trust, but a lot of times that doesn't happen. And so, you know, my... Well, I guess I'd put it this way, Anna. In a sense, in a sense, it's easier. Like going on pilgrimage to the to the holy shrines of Europe and the Middle East um, is a luxury. In a sense, it was it was easy. It was incredibly rewarding, um, and obviously, it was difficult to take those risks to initially go on the pilgrimage. But um, in retrospect, it's a lot easier to um, to be spiritual. At the shrine of a of a dead saint, than it is to um, be spiritual at you know four thirty in the afternoon after you've had a really difficult day of you know very demanding caseload and colleagues and maintaining a, a level of uh, professionalism and detail that our you know uh, addiction industry um, requires and needs. And to, you know, to keep, as that man said, you know, to keep the, the, um, the light, the light of the heart um, present and visible during those times is a is a far greater greater challenge than at the at the shrine of a saint. So, in a sense, I feel what. What pilgrimage really did for me is I, I had these experiences at the shrines and got a, got a sense of, of what that level of, of consciousness or what those vibrations of the holy are. And then my challenge is to, is to keep that, that, um, that candle burning wherever I go and with whatever I'm doing. And then, of course, when I recognize that the the candle, <laughs> the candle went out an hour and a half ago, and I've been living in self will and control for the last hour and a half or two days or two weeks, then to to take that risk again, to have that faith again, to um, to reconnect with you know the cave of the heart, the place of the heart, and and start living from there again.
3: So it sounds like the the, the real. Maybe the essence of the value of your pilgrimage was that you really got in a deep way what it feels like to live at that depth of heart and spirit
4: yes that was that was definitely a a real a big a big part of it and you know i have I have checked out you know i i have I have some great supports in my life and you know other people who are on um, different contemplative paths and in and in recovery, and that has been a common a common theme. And one of the reasons why I would encourage anyone to go on pilgrimage, or to go on you know extended retreats, or to experience silence, is to get a taste of that um, of that consciousness or that experience. And so, in our normal everyday lives, we have a a reference point, an orientation point.
3: You've got, we're almost at the end of our time here, but tell us briefly, you've got some plans to expand your uh, context in which you can be quiet. Tell us about what you're going to be doing pretty soon here, Nick.
4: Okay, well, again, um, serendipitously, I, you know, a year after my pilgrimage, I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to be moving into a uh, contemplative community uh, this week. It's a it's a meditation center here in Minneapolis, and continue continue on the path of of basically being able to to integrate these these uh, the the spiritual experience to a, a greater and greater extent into into my day and the way in my life and how I interact with myself and others. So, yeah, the pilgrimage continues and just really excited to, you know, why... You know, I was a drug addict, right? And I was a mm-hmm. drug addict because it was fun It was fun getting high. There, there was a, a chaos and, it, and an adventure to it that attracted me. But it's extremely unhealthy and, you know, I was on death's doorstep... The incredible thing about spirituality is that it's a greater it is the greater adventure it is the the ultimate adventure and you know that's (laughs) that's what this is really really about for me is the adventure of love um gosh i'm so glad that i'm that i'm involved that i'm participating in that wouldn't trade it for the world
3: This is incredible. Uh, Thank you so much for what you've told us today. You uh, have had a profound experience, and you've shared it with us very eloquently. I am blessed um, by it, and I know that all the listeners also have been touched. Thank you so much for who you are, for what you do. God bless you, my friend.
4: Thanks. God bless you.
3: Thank you. Thank you to all of you who've listened today, and thank you for Mike for emailing us in and um, want you to be with us next week. My guest is going to be Dennis Warner. He's a singer and a songwriter. He uh, has created an anti-bullying curriculum that's been used by over a 100,000 students. And the topic next week is what matters most because in recovery what matters most is what Nick was telling us about today is that adventure of love and life. So God bless everyone who's listening out there. You know that you're in my Uh, prayers, and I see wonderful good things happening for you. And Nick, thank you so much again for being with us. Bye.
2: Thank you for tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org.
7: Warning. After listening to the Oneness Program, Fridays at 11 a.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, people have reported feeling a profound stillness in body and mind that continues well into the weekend. Others have found that their internal quiet is matched by a flow and ease in relationships and daily activities. Join Rev. Dr. Patricia Keel for the Oneness Program and experience the Oneness Blessing. Friday mornings, 11 a.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
1: According to an ancient Hindu teaching... If you can only speak the truth and tell no lies for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened.
5: This meditative moment from Reverend Joan Gatuso and Unity Magazine is brought to you by Unity.
7: Good parenting doesn't happen by default. It's intentional. It's a decision about who you'll be and what you'll do in your family life. Join your hosts, Reverends Jennifer and Ogan Holder, each week for Unity Family Matters as they guide you on a spiritual journey, creating conscious family life. Experience the light side of parenting, realizing your divine identity while raising your children to know they are the light of God. Gain insights based on Unity principles. Talk with today's prominent experts in spiritual parenting. And address your questions and comments from spiritual perspectives. Unity Family Matters. Every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
5: Music Speaks Louder Than Words is an inspiring, informative, and fun hour of uplifting, heartfelt music and commentary that delivers a powerful message of love, joy, and oneness. It will keep you smiling and singing along. Your host, Dale Worley, is alive with the Spirit of God each Thursday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern with Music Speaks Louder Than Words. Music. It's the only thing that the whole world listens to.
0: Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it.